Hi, everybody. I'm Josh Constein, your host of Press Club, where the big names in tech talk about the big ideas. And in cryptocurrency, one of the biggest ideas is wealth inequality. Is this really just giving more money to the technology rich already? And that's where WorldCoin comes in. It's a really unique solution trying to solve wealth inequality by giving everybody in the world their fair share of its cryptocurrency. And how does it do that? By scanning your iris to determine proof of personhood, to make sure you're actually a unique person. And to do that, they built this incredibly industrially designed object called the Orb. And we're gonna be here with its CEO, investors, and builders talking about how this is going to change the way we think about cryptocurrency, how this could you know, be a, a new format for detecting fraud in the world, and why this is the best approach to making sure everybody gets their fair share. So thank you so much, Alex Blania, from being, for being here, the CEO of WorldCoin, as well as Miguel uh, Piedrafita, who is one of the builders of the company, Tiago, who helps on the ground with deploying WorldCoin, uh, and Alana Berger uh, on, from the deal team at Andreessen Horowitz uh, on their crypto team. So thank you all for being here. And with that, I'll kick it to you, Alex. Maybe you could just give us a little bit of an overview of WorldCoin and a little bit of sort of the state of the business. Where are you guys at right now? And how many countries are you in? How are you deploying this thing? Thanks for having us. With us here is Miguel, uh, who, who, is, who is building everything around crypto and, and developer relations and NTO as the product. And of course, Elena from Andreessen. Um, so you actually nailed it, uh, I think, in your description. But let me start giving a little bit of a historic overview of the company, how it all came together and where we ended up where we are right now and, and what's coming up in the future. So basically two years ago, uh, back then Web3 was not a, a thing yet. Uh, so it was kind of in, in peak bear market, the last bear market. And uh, I, was, I was studying physics back then. I was, I was at Caltech, I was doing research. And um, Sam, so Sam Altman, our co-founder, back then approached me uh, with a very kind of simple but provocative idea is, is what would happen if you would launch a new token by giving ownership in it? Would that not dramatically increase access to, uh, to financial services uh, in, in the whole world and therefore kind of level, level set the playing field? Because right now, like crypto is still an insider thing. And that was the simple idea. How, how can we do that? And then we really, we really got into it and we, we started exploring it. And, and basically the first fundamental problem you stumble across is uh, civil resistance. So how do you make sure that everyone is able to claim their share only once? And uh, that, that back then sounded like a super, a super small problem to, to figure out, and we will certainly find a solution to that and then move on. But that actually turned out to be a quite, a quite ma major one. Because if you really want to do that, uh, if you really want to do it globally, you, you cannot do KYC. Uh, all of those kind of web of trust approaches that other people have been thinking about also do not work. And um, you're kind of left with with biometrics, and that back then sounded sounded uh, very kind of crazy to us, right? It was it was not what we what we set off to do, but we really kind of excluded everything else, and we realized, okay, we probably have to do biometrics, and when we do biometrics, we definitely have to use zero knowledge proofs. Uh, we will talk more about that in a second, I guess, and 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 kind of to make it privacy preserving. Then within biometrics, as you said before, and you nailed it. The only really biometric modality that works is, is the iris because basically your face, uh, your fingerprint, all of those uh, kind of modalities, they don't have enough entropy, enough information to distinguish enough people. So you would basically would, would, would reject everyone. So basically we, we decided, okay, we, we have to do metrics and with biometrics we have to do iris scanning. And uh, for that we have to build our own device because it's a trusted computer environment and many other reasons. 
So we did that. Otherwise, we cannot launch this token. And then we realized later on that it's actually obviously a, a huge problem for the rest of the space and we should open up as SDK, as a basically proof of person that other people can use for whatever they're building. And that was the first year. Uh, we, we built a device. It's a, it's a quite complicated device at this point. It's a hard problem to solve, but it's now basically production ready. We're ramping up right now and we are starting deployment. So we, uh, we, we tested globally in, in, in 20 cities in the last few months and Many things have worked, other things really need to improve, but we are ramping up. We just actually, a few weeks ago, we had the first pre-production batch in our table. So the first non-prototypes are now getting ready to, to actually scale things up quite dramatically. And, and things are really exciting. Um, so, so basically one of those devices that are called the Orbs, they're doing on average around 800 signups a week, some more, some less, but, but that's the average. And uh, we will produce around 50,000 of them a year. So the scale will be quite large quite soon. That's a short overview. That's amazing. I would love to hear, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about how do you guys actually deploy this? Is this like teams going out to these countries on the ground, scanning people? Like, how do you incentivize them to want to scan their eyes? And are they getting their cryptocurrency right away? Like, how does this kind of work in practice? First of all, we have our own token, right? That, That token did not launch on mainnet yet, but there will be one. So, and that's a cap supply token of 10 billion tokens that will be created. And 8 billion of those tokens basically uh, go to users and operators. Operators are the people that are using that orb. So that's actually not the team, but rather everyday people similar to Uber drivers or, uh, or Airbnb hosts, basically, right? So you can receive your orb and you can, you can verify other people. And basically for every verification, you earn a world coin. And the user, however, receives two things. So first of all, you download the Rollcoin wallet. That's a standard Ethereum wallet. The token itself is an Ethereum token. Uh, you download this, this wallet, you verify with an orb, and then you receive your proof of personhood, which is anonymous and, and pseudonymous. So it's actually fundamentally privacy preserving. I guess we will talk much more about that in a second. And you receive your Rollcoin tokens. But those Rollcoin tokens you will receive over a long period of time. So they have basically a vesting on it. And so every, every week you receive a small amount of your Rollcoin tokens. And then also now we actually have a drop feature in the app. So other crypto projects can do airdrops with all of the Rollcoin users. So they also have access to that silver resistance solution. So how it works is we basically have a team that is finding those operators in cities and launch markets that are orb operators. And they run basically a business with those orbs and find creative ways to onboard people much more creative than, than we could ever be, right? Because you, you, you need to find people that actually understand their local communities. And that, that's really hard to do as a centralized company. One of the things I'm most curious about is the industrial design of this object. It's this like mirrored ball. It looks like it's from a hundred years in the future. To some people that might be like really attractive. It was certainly a conversation starter being like, oh, what what are these people holding up to people's faces? Like I gotta go figure out what this thing is. To others, it might almost seem a bit dystopian, almost a little scary. So like, why did you guys make the industrial design choices that you did uh, making this thing this really futuristic looking object? That actually has a lot of user testing background. So once we had that first prototype working, back then, obviously, we had no idea that this would actually work and it would scale. So this was pre-Series A. So basically, Sam funded the seed phase of the company, and we just built a prototype, and we were like trying to find out if, if that whole approach even can scale, if it can make sense. So basically, we had this first prototype. Back then, it was already a sphere. We already had ideas that this would be kind of cool because you hold it in your hand and... Uh, Somehow we just like the sphere, is the honest answer. Um, but it was blue. It looked like a bowling ball back then because it came out of the 3D printer. And uh, then, well, me and, and the whole team, the whole team back then was like 10, 11 people. We went out in a small town in Germany 
And we just tried it out. So we, we talked to users, we, we pitched them the idea, and uh, we, we tried to, to verify them. And two things immediately happened. First of all, that it didn't look trustworthy because it's like, obviously it was a prototype, it was blinking and, and blue and things like that. But, but second of all, it also did not attract attention. So uh, people did not wait for it or kind of looked at it or kind of asked questions around it. And so we, we just iterated on it. So every Saturday we had a, a new shipping cycle. Every Saturday we wanted to go out with a new version of the product. Back then the web app, the pitch, and the device itself. And we quickly discovered that the more attention it attracts, the better it works and uh, the more success we actually have onboarding people. Then right around that time, we, we started working with Thomas Meyerhofer. He was the first hire of Johnny Ive actually at Apple. Uh, so he was working on, on, on the iMac back then and many other cool things afterwards. And, and so he became our industrial designer and he came up with that idea. Like, let's make it basically shiny. Let's make it a shiny sphere. However, an important comment, actually that industrial design is not locked in yet. So we, we will publish uh, other, other proposals soon. Like this is just a, uh, still not the final version because I think um, basically we want to achieve that. Like it should be kind of flashy and futuristic but it also should be friendly. And that's definitely not what it, like the picture you just shared achieves that. So basically like the, the directions we are going um, is, for example, have a white face and, and instead of a black, the LED rings in, in the front, they look different and things like that. Tiago, you're out in the field helping deploy this thing, showing it to people. What has the reaction been? Like, I would love to hear some stories from the field of, of, of deploying WorldCoin and what people who've never seen this thing think about it. A bunch of people in the in the team spend time on the field. I've, I've personally been everywhere between Norway and Kenya and Chile and a bunch of other places. And there's some things that are the same in every country. There's some things that are different. For sure, people that are just walking by, they look at the orb and they're like, well, what's that? And they, they're usually very curious and they want to learn about it. Most operators nowadays have some sort of sign that explains the project a little bit. It talks about how you can claim a new cryptocurrency for free here or something along those lines. So that also helps people stop. And so usually once people come by, operators have a bunch of different people that are working on the ground. Some people are focused on explaining the project to people so that those who want can sign up. And then other people are actually focused on uh, on doing the verification. And uh, the process takes about five minutes per person. The longest wait is just downloading the app, to be honest. So we... We rely on a non-custodial uh, or a self-custodial wallet. And so users have to download this app. It's, it's super, super small, uh, but it still needs to do it. Um, and so some operators have Wi-Fi hotspots for these. Other people have uh, just downloaded with LTE. So they download the app. Meantime, they're learning about the project. They create their wallet, and then they actually get a QR code that they showed to the orb uh, before getting verified themselves. And so... In terms of the reactions of people, I would say most are just very intrigued. I mean, what, what we see is people tend to be very curious about cryptocurrencies. And what we hear a lot is they've been trying to learn or they've been trying to buy, but they just haven't gotten around to it. And so for them, it's just a really cool chance to learn about crypto in general, learn about WorldCoin specifically, and then get these tokens, get these free tokens as their, as their first cryptocurrencies, start trying things. Uh, and then some of them talk about that they'll later go on and, and, and learn about other cryptos and other exchanges. 
Yeah, it seems cool that like right now so many people want to learn about this that if you can put on almost like little tutorials at the same time, then that's a might be a bit more exciting than than just standing in line. So that's awesome. Elena, I'd love to bring you in on this and hear a little bit about your perspective of like what you find so exciting and different about this. You know, why why is this different than all the other cryptocurrencies that we've seen? Uh and in you know, thinking especially thinking about like the long-term vision, like where do you see this be going in five years that got you excited about it and wanting to invest? Thanks so much for having us all here. Um, I think sort of generally on the crypto team, when we discuss, you know, what we want to invest in and the kinds of projects that get us really excited, I think there are a couple of things that we think about. One is kind of like, are they solving problems that exist today? And then the other sort of thing that gets us really excited is kind of like, are they expanding the realm of what is possible in the future? So I think on like the first axis, what's really exciting to us, you have a couple of things. One is sort of as we've been discussing already, kind of this idea of being able to airdrop people tokens and sort of have maybe a UBI layer for the world. Uh, this other thing that's being solved is is sort of proof of personhood and verifiable identity, which which they're accomplishing with uh, zero knowledge proofs. And then what are they doing in the future? Well, you know, once you have proof of personhood and and you have kind of this SDK that they're building out, like you, you can build all kinds of applications or integrate kind of the WorldCoin SDK with applications that already exist and sort of solve problems that exist and also kind of just create new opportunities for having verifiable identity on the internet generally. Can the kind of uh, KYC that WorldCoin does, does that apply to other type of cryptocurrency startups? Like, is that sufficient or do you still need, you know, ID scans and like legal names and all that other stuff as well? Well, yeah, I I definitely wouldn't refer to it as KYC because um, basically like WorldCoin preserves your anonymity. They use, um, and I think, you know, Miguel and Alex and Tiago can speak to this, but they use uh, Semaphore, which is a zero knowledge protocol that basically allows you to prove that you belong to this larger set without revealing your identity. So it's sort of like a way to preserve anonymity. So I, I wouldn't necessarily like think of it as KYC. I would think of it more as just like like proving that you are indeed, you know, a, a unique and, and verifiable person. I just want to thank everybody for being here on Press Club, where we bring the big names in tech together to talk about the big ideas. And just a reminder, none of this should be taken as legal business tax or investment advice. Uh, but that said, we're really happy to have you part of the community. But yeah, that definitely brings up this bigger topic around universal basic income and the idea that you know if everybody in the world, regardless of income, was able to get this same sort of living stipend, then we wouldn't have nearly the same level of poverty. But obviously, there's always been concerns that you know people could get multiple shares of that UBI, uh, or the idea that it might actually make people not feel like they needed to work. Or alternatively, it could be seen as something that, hey, we don't actually need everybody in the world to work, that that's actually a good thing and that that's the future of automation. Uh, but making sure those people don't, you know, aren't that people displaced by technology and automation aren't just in poverty is so critical. So Alex, we'd love to hear maybe you and Miguel or anybody else talk about you know, your long-term vision for how this impacts wealth inequality. Sure. We actually consciously avoided the word UBI talking about Rockcoin. 
after the initial kind of initial doc describing Vulkans, like an, an initial document that Sam showed me back then, it was actually just described as like, okay, this is the long-term path to UBI. However, we discovered quickly, like this is politically quite loaded. So we just don't talk about it. And, and the, the other thing is, I think the biggest concern for UBI is like, where does the actual capital come from? Right? You just need a lot of money. You just need a lot of wealth to, to make a meaningful impact here. And 10 years ago, uh, there would not be a great answer to this question. I think 10 years from now, there will be a quite good answer for this, and that will be around AI. And I know this always sounds wild to people still, but just being close to open AI and, and kind of seeing what is happening there, and obviously I don't know what is happening in DeepMind or other organizations in the world, is this is a quite exponential trend. And uh, I guess impact our lives much more than, than we realize at this point in the, in the coming decades. So basically, if you have something like Rollcoin or if you think about UBI in general, you need three things, right? You need a map of all unique humans. Well, you need an economic system that connects all of those unique humans. And then lastly, you need a system to actually create that wealth, which will be, I think, AI. So if you want to think far ahead in the future, because obviously this is not implemented and there is no dedicated plan around this now, but if Rollcoin really works and if we, if we really onboard billions of people, which I, I hope we will, then at some point you could pluck basically something like OpenAI or any any of those systems that that are, are working here that are close to AGI or just create phenomenal amounts of wealth and you can distribute that wealth through Wellcoin. So that's how I think about it. But obviously this this sounds crazy and this is many years out. I love this idea that you know, if you think of how do you back up the the wealth distribution of this, you need something that can kind of just spin off a ridiculous amount of wealth and that maybe nobody else is just trying to claim and own all of that wealth. So maybe you just tell me a little bit about you. You mentioned that idea that like AI will generate the wealth necessary for this. How, what do you mean by that? It's hard to say what that exactly will be. If I just think about ideas I would have right now, is like if I would try to solve this problem right now, I would probably start working on applying one of those big transformer models on even market predictions or stock trading and things like that, or crypto trading. Uh, you, you would probably build a, a hedge fund and you, you could probably make some difference there. As you get closer to actual AGI, I have no idea where this wealth actually will be created. You see things like Dolly, you see, see things like GPT-3. Obviously, they, they already create a lot of wealth. But not many more things will come out of there. So I don't know. I mean, it, it, it basically will lead to an abund abundance of uh, of intelligence in, in like many different forms, and this will automate many things that we just consider to be normal today. It might it might be anything from medicine to even psychotherapy to uh, I don't know, like GPT ten that suddenly is all of that in one big model to uh, to a hedge fund. Uh, all of those different things might come out of this. It's definitely too early to predict this right now, but yeah, you, you get the point. Yeah, and, and just to, to add on top of this, this is obviously like a couple of years away, right? So then the question is, what are we doing today? I think the really cool opportunity that we have today in crypto for the next 10 years is a ridiculous amount of wealth is being unlocked and just created from scratch uh, with crypto systems, right? In particular, protocols that are being created that should be owned by the people that use them, they're already decentralizing through airdrops, right? And so the idea that... All of that wealth can actually be distributed to a much, much larger group of people, just as we're distributing our own token, is really exciting. So this is why in the short term, what we're distributing is all of the wealth that is being created by this wave of incredible innovations in crypto. And then what will actually create that more sustainable and, and recurring stream of UBI, as Alex was saying, in the mid-term and in the long term, is actually something like AI. 
Elaine, I know you've thought a lot about sort of how Dolly 2, GBT3, and some of these new products are going to be able to spin out these enormous businesses. We'd love your take on sort of how you think about the idea of almost AI that can self-fund retraining programs or economic alternatives if it puts people out of jobs. I think that concept to me has always been important. It's like if you build something that I think automates jobs away, I think you have some responsibility or at least it would be you know socially nice of you to figure out ways to help those people either find new jobs or be economically sustainable or, or at least stay out of poverty. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I think there are huge opportunities here to build out uh, these systems into massive businesses. Uh, and then you finally have that economic engine that can go behind something like a UBI system. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I can probably speak a little less well to AI just because I, I focus pretty much only on on crypto and and there is some intersection with that with Worldcoin, but I think something that Tiago alluded to is is maybe also a good way to answer the question you just asked, which is you know crypto protocols in general and just how much more efficient they are and how much you know how how they can actually really share value with their users. Something that we've noticed, um, a big difference between Web 2 and, and Web 3 platforms is take rates. So you have everything from, you know, NFT platforms to AMMs and, and DeFi protocols, and they all have radically lower take rates than what their corollaries might be in, in sort of a Web 2 environment. So you have something like OpenSea, and you might want to compare that to creator platforms like YouTube or Instagram or, um, you know, TikTok or, or, you know, any, any number of like web two platforms. And then you have protocols like Compound and protocols like Uniswap and protocols like MakerDAO, which all, you know, charge their users far less than sort of whatever a, a corollary in traditional finance would be. And then they also distribute, in, in some cases, they, they might even distribute some of their revenues back to their users and back to their token holders. And while these aren't sort of charged by AI or, or sort of animated by AI and artificial intelligence, what they are is are their smart contracts at the end of the day, which means that the number of people who actually need to work on them and need to sort of provide upkeep on them is is far lower than, you know, what the equivalent product in Web 2 is doing, which means that, you know, profits can be much higher. And then, you know, sort of like I said, those revenues can be re redistributed back to token holders. So when we think about UBI or not UBI, but when we think about just generally redistributing value back to users and back to people, what you have at the end of the day is this reality where, you know, maybe you have, um, you know, a smaller group of developers and, and sort of um, like core protocol, you know, programmers. And then you have a much larger group of people who are using these protocols um, and building on top of these protocols and creating value around these protocols. Um, but but you, you can sort of project out into the future and see this environment where, you know, a lot more value is, is being generated and then shared with users. Elaine, I'd love your, uh, to hear your perspective on this as well. Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, I've actually been thinking a lot recently about how there are some weird parallels between what I'm seeing now happen a lot with the advances in AI and just uh, just how tech is moving in general with what we saw in the Industrial Revolution, 
where the average worker, their job was you had, you know, the people who were building the machines. And then the average line worker was feeding inputs into a machine, making sure the machines didn't break and troubleshooting when they did. And if you look at how much now is, you know, open source that you're taking or building on top of a platform like a GPT-3 or a Dolly 2 or something like that, it's a lot of the exact same thing. Knowledge workers' job now is to feed inputs into the machine, which is these algorithms, to troubleshoot when things go wrong and to kind of keep the things moving. And to your point around, well, what happens when you're able to do so much more with so many less people? Is there a responsibility to retrain or to do you know things like that? Maybe, but maybe the reality is that it's less about the retraining and it's more about how do you teach more people to feed inputs into the machines? And that's where I feel like there's this humongous opportunity because that enables new, cooler use cases that people couldn't even consider before. And the underlying tech is still the same. And so it's not like you have to wait for that next wave of platform shift or innovation. You can actually leverage what's already existing and just you know, feed more inputs and do more things with it. So that's where my head has been at for a bit. Um, you know, I think there are just some really cool things. I mean, everything OpenAI is doing to me is just really amazing. And I think how you marry that with some of the things we're seeing in the crypto and Web3 world is this whole thing around community organization and really having people be compensated based off of their contributions in a commensurate way. And I think if you start to combine these things, you can do really interesting things from a token perspective and tokenomics where you're encouraging different behaviors based off of that. But I think there's a tie-in to some of these emerging platforms too. Okay, so Miguel, I know that you are, uh, you, you're an incredible builder. You've built a ton of remarkable infrastructure yourself for the Web3 movement and just a builder in general. Would love to hear your opinion. Like, What gets you excited about building for WorldCoin and like, where do you see the, the long-term opportunity and vision for this going? Yeah, so me personally, I'm really interested about the protocol that uh, Alex mentioned at the start. We were building this currency. We realized in order to give this to everyone, we need to kind of like solve resistance, solve this problem, like who is a human and who is not in the internet? And not only that, but like who is a unique human and ideally do it in a completely anonymous way or at least in a privacy preserving way. So we are not just like getting all your uh, ID details because there are big places in the world where you cannot do that. And that is an amazing primitive that I think can be used across all of the internet, not even like only Web3, also Web2 and other places to improve and enhance the experience to all of these apps that are like requiring you to enter your ID, maybe to make sure that you're not a bot or all of these captures that we all endlessly creating. We're talking about AI, kind of like training an AI where we're not even doing that anymore because I'm sure they have enough data. All of those things can just like be removed away with just a cryptographic key that says, I am. I have been proven to be a human, and I've never tried this once, which is not a thing that you can ever even do right now. There's no way to for sure knowing that people can only sign up to my application once, other than asking for IDs and stuff. And doing all of that, doing it in a completely anonymous way where we or the application learns not, learn nothing about you, and also in a way where like you cannot use this anonymous ID to track people across websites, which was another concern. It's really completely anonymous. And I feel like that we have never had something like that before, and it's going to enable a lot of really cool use cases. Yeah, I want to dive a little bit deeper into the biometric side of things. You know, I think for a while people were thinking, oh my gosh, like my fingerprints, my eyeball scans, my face scans, I have to keep those really private because if I lose access to those, you know, somebody could spoof me and be me wherever. You know, obviously your iris is a lot harder to defraud, but what do you say, Alex, to maybe people who are a little bit more cagey about their biometrics going out anywhere, even if they're... Um, 
even if they're incredibly secure and encrypted as they are with WorldCoin, you know, do you see what, why, a reason why other people feel like they should be keeping their biometrics super secure? Or do you think that's something that like, you know, just like our names or our email addresses, that stuff just like inevitably gets out there. But unless there's a real safety concern, it's not that big of a deal. Right. I think um, before we talk about that specific thing, it's really important to understand like especially in real use case, what actually happens and, and kind of what, what are the implica- implications of the technology we're using, right? Because the first important piece is your biometrics, in our case at least, is fully decoupled from your actual account with your knowledge proofs. And, and we cannot change anything about that. And no, no, no one else with access to all the information we have can change anything about that. So let's start with the basics, all right? Let, let's start with the basics of biometrics. So all the things you're using in your daily life, if it's your iPhone, if it's your, your door, for example, the Equinox, I was, I was there yesterday, like there's also an iris scanner. What all of those systems do is a one-to-one verification, right? So there is an embedding stored somewhere on my iPhone of how Alex looks like, and I try to log in my iPhone again, a new embedding gets created of a neural network that is somewhere on that phone and kind of just, just gets the signal from the sensors. And then that embedding is compared to this one previous embedding. And if that works out, I can log in and I can use my phone. And the same is true for Equinox, the same is, is true for my door. For WorldCoin or anyone else that wants to solve the problem, really, what you have to do is you have to compare one user against anyone else in some kind of database, right? Because you, you want to check uniqueness versus just re-identifying someone. And uh, that's fundamentally the only pro- problem we want to solve. Like We want to prove that you are, in fact, a real human and that you are unique to a certain application. That's the only thing we care about. We don't want to know anything else about you and we don't want anyone else to know anything about you. So much to that. And what that also means, like this, this one to N versus one to one comparison, is that you need much, much more information entropy about each user because those error rates, right? So I, I, I compare people to each other and I can distinguish them yes or no. If I can't do that anymore, then I, I basically just say, no, you, you already verified and I'm wrong. That error rate basically goes up exponentially with, with the amount of users I have in my database. Not exactly, but, but pretty much. So that means that I need much, much more entropy information than I, than I need in this kind of doorknob or iPhone use case. And to give you some numbers around this is if I would use the iPhone uh, Face ID for this use case, this Rockwell use case of, of verifying everyone as unique and new to a certain application, after 5 to 10 million users, I would have just no chance anymore to distinguish users and I would say no to everyone. And it's very important to understand, it's not that you just have this constant error rate, but rather you hit a wall. So after 5 to 10 million people, the system's performance just gets so bad that you have no chance anymore to distinguish them. And that's true for a face, because there's just not as much information capturable in, in a face. The same is true for your, your f- fingerprint. Your iris, however, is different. There is a lot of information in the muscle of your eye, right? Like it's just very, very, if you have a high-resolution camera, there's a lot to capture there. There's a lot of information to get out of this. Um, of course, DNA sequencing and other things would, would be uh, would work too, but that's invasive and it's it's not 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 great for for many other reasons. So that's why we why we have to do iris recognition versus face or versus versus fingerprints. And then how to make this privacy preserving? Like that's the next big question to answer, and that has implications on the actual question you asked, right? Like how how should people feel about giving that away and, and what are the implications of getting this away or kind of signing up with your biometrics for something. What we are doing is we basically fully decouple this verification process of you are unique and you are real to your account with the knowledge proofs. So that means that 
you only prove to a certain application, okay, I'm unique to this application, but that application will have no idea afterwards what your, in our case, iris hash or all of those other kind of kind of linkable information would be. And that's quite powerful, right? So there's this, this normal understanding of what people have around biometrics. It's like, okay, if biometrics is my password and I, I publish it, then I there's no step back from this. This is just fundamentally not true for the Rollcon use case. So yeah, I, I think in our case, there's there's uh, just from a real computer science uh, perspective, there's nothing you, you really give away. There's There's nothing you compromise with that. I'm a, a strong privacy advocate. Other people in the team are too. So we obviously take this quite serious. And I know it sounds counterintuitive, but I think this is just, it needs a lot of education and understanding to understand what, what, what this new technology means and what zero knowledge proofs mean. Because other than a few crypto people, no, no one really understands that yet. So that's my, that's my answer for Worldcoin specifically. Then my, my more general take is obviously biometrics, they, they just come more and more in our daily lives anyways. Oh, that's that's yeah, no, that's super helpful. Yeah, to that end, I've, I'm really fascinated to hear a little bit about what you end up doing with these scans long term. But actually, before that, I want to hear a bit about you know, the incentive structure. You know, what do you give people in exchange for those those scans? And if it's Worldcoin, you know, and is that a promise of future Worldcoin, or are they getting that Worldcoin like delivered to them right now? And how do they have a sort of sense of what the value will be of that one one day? Because I presume if they're they're taking some time, they're you know giving up something that even if it really it isn't a big thing for them to give away, like some of those other biometrics. Uh, that it's still, you know, it's still at the very least takes some time. So, how do right. you convince people to do that? And you know, how do you have a? Do you have any speculation of like how much, how many coins you're giving people, how much they're going to be worth one day, or how right. you sort of handle that? Because I obviously you, know, you can imagine people being super excited if they're like told it's going to be twenty dollars worth of coin and it ends up being a hundred. They can be disappointed if it ends up being two dollars. Uh, and how do you kind of manage that? First of all, where we are right now, like right now we are still in, in a testing phase. That means that there's a lot of technology in this project, right? Like everything from the app to the hardware itself. The hardware itself is quite complicated. There's many neural networks on there to, of course, the crypto stack also. So we build our own layer two and, and things like that. So there's a lot of technology that needs to be built and implemented. And that's what we're doing right now. So we are testing and we're testing many different things, uh, everything from all the things you just touched. So economic incentives in different places, how do they work? And kind of how do you have to design them to actually achieve exactly what is what is what is good for the protocol versus optimize for the wrong thing? Of course, the app getting people that maybe never interfaced with crypto before, getting them to understand what a private and public key even is, like all of those basics, you really have to start from zero with with uh, with many of those those users, of course. And that's that's great. That's what we wanted to do. Too many other things, like just like the actual lens and camera and everything like that. So we were testing, and within that, we we went through multiple. Phases. So it actually started with what we called back then the Bitcoin project, which was quite funny. So we, we back then when we were like full stealth, we did not talk about Rollcoin in any way. We just had this device, and you you verified with one of those devices, and then you just received Bitcoin. And that was pretty much inspired by this paper done by Stanford of of actually giving away Bitcoin to students, which had like very very interesting outcomes. So we did similar things in in the very very early days. So the first six months of uh, 2019. Then afterwards, we we started giving out testnet tokens, so IOUs, basically. Actually, these are two different things, and we actually handled also those two things separately. So first, IOUs, so you will receive $20 of Rollcoin once the mainnet is live, and then later, we actually switched to testnet tokens to test also the crypto stack. So you get 25 Rollcoin tokens when the mainnet is live. Now, since like, I think, three, four weeks, 
we added a new feature to the app we were really excited about and we wanted to do since since quite a while, but again, this was just a lot of engineering, is um, drops. So user, user, you don't only receive Rollcoin now, but you also receive Bitcoin, Ethereum, and DAI, and then soon also other tokens of other projects that can just decide to do that in a similar way that to Coinbase earn. So user, user, you can just learn about a project and you earn a smart amount of that. So the answer right now, when you when you sign up for Rollcoin, you receive those um, testnet tokens that will transition to mainnet tokens. The mainnet goes live later in the year. And then you also receive those drops that you can claim by doing some small lessons on it. And for those companies that are doing those drops with you, are like those protocols giving you guys rewards? Or is this just like out of the, the goodness of your guys' heart? Or is this kind of a, you know, a, a biz dev deal with somebody else saying like, hey, we'd love to like distribute our tokens to more people. Like maybe you could help with the, us with that because you already have all these wallet addresses and, you know, and know they're unique people. Well, we, this whole feature was actually inspired by projects asking us to do this in our Series B conversations. So it, it actually came from that direction. And uh, we had a lot of interest, and we still have a lot of interest of other projects wanting to do this, uh, often in, in really large sums of money, totally. However, what we learned in the past is we really have to involve the community with those things. So basically what we decided to do is we fund an initial phase with, with only Ethereum, Bitcoin, and DAI, because these are very neutral tokens. And then we, we just make sure the app gets to a state where you're actually happy with it, and, and everything works, and everything's stable, retention numbers are stable, things like that. And then we actually give it to a community vote. So we will say, hey, here's, here's the projects that have interest in, in listing their tokens uh, in our app too for drops. Uh, what is the community decision? What should we actually list versus just us doing kind of centralized, as you said, business staff decisions to, to make it much more neutral and, and kind of community driven. And this will come relatively soon. I'm super fascinated with that developer sort of platform angle, the idea of like an SDK or the ability for other apps to use this concept of unique personhood. What's the kind of vision there? Because it seems like, you know, regardless of what exactly happens with the cryptocurrency, the idea is really important. The, you know, the database that you're building is super powerful. And yeah, we'd love to hear how that would happen. Because I mean, you know, obviously we're t- we've been talking a lot about uh, about Twitter and moderation policies with, you know, with Elon and the idea that you could actually tell if somebody was unique and therefore say, hey, like you have to either be registered uh, separately as a bot or we actually know which accounts are connected to which people and you can't have a ton of personal accounts that all look like real people, but there's only one real person behind them. seems like there's a huge opportunity to use this across the ecosystem. So we'd love to hear your vision about that. Maybe you and Miguel. Right. So I will, I will give the high level answer, then Miguel and Tiago can, can chime in on, on, a, on, a, on a more detailed basis. But yeah, you're right. Like this is this is really exciting, uh, and it's um, it, it solves many problems that there are right now in the crypto space when it actually gets to scale. So we open source everything. So there's an SDK, and you as a developer, you can basically just use World ID login for whatever you're building. And what that means is that the user is again using the knowledge proofs that Semaphore Library that Elena mentioned in the beginning to anonymously verify to that application that they are unique to that application, and Again, all of this is open source, so you can basically just integrate it and you can use it for your, for your app. And that's, that's really exciting, but why this is also exciting, I think, and that will still take a few months for people to, to be obvious, but that's basically why, why other projects approached us around this. Is like the, the growth numbers of Rollcoin are quite incredible for, uh, for, for crypto and for, for Web3, and that's even though we're still in testing and still in very small scale, so this will get much, much larger numbers soon. And so basically you as a developer, is you have access to uh, many users, and that's 
that's cool. So this is basically like the billion user table that Balaji talked about many, many times and kind of this blog post he shared. It's, it's, it's like an open source table of unique and real human people you, you can basically just build products for. And that is a fundamentally new primitive. I'm, I'm, we are really excited about it. And then now we'll give it over to Miguel and Tiago to talk more about that. Yeah, like Alex said, I feel like it's really, really cool that we have this giant database in a way of humans, but again, it is in a completely anonymous way. And even like a single app can, if they use Wallet for two different things, like say that they like give you money once and they give you money another time, they cannot track users even even between those two uses. So they can tell that people are unique within this use. Like this person has not done this before, but they have no idea of knowing this person has not done the other thing before. Which I think is really cool because otherwise this would be a big vector for tracking. This has huge implications in crypto, specifically where a lot of these projects are trying to share their value with the users and they are seeing that there are a little amount of users that are kind of like making lots of bots, automating this whole thing and really stealing value from the projects and from the rest of the users. And this kind of solution can defeat that completely. We also have this trend of funding public goods. So in general, just like funding things that people want to see, using experiments that use a matching pool that gets uh, divided on the number of users that both fund its projects, not the amounts. And that works until someone just like makes a bunch of wallets and goes to fund different, fund different projects and kind of like attacks that. That can also be defeated with this thing. And then other than that, you were talking about uh, Twitter. This is something, this is also something that can be used on Web2 and on like traditional backend and web apps similar to how you would use it on chain. So for all of those things, really, we haven't really had a primitive like this before. Yeah, it's super exciting, though. I think some of the parts, the fact that it's so new, it's doing something with a really big, audacious vision, you know, naturally ends up you know, attracting some skeptics. So I know there's been some criticism around you know, how it's deployed, the like promises of incentives, how you've worked with local governments. And so, Alex, just love to give you a, a chance to just like debunk any myths or like, you know, talk about what you think is maybe the biggest misconception around WorldCoin or just give any sort of feedback to, or, or response to, to some of those criticisms because I think I think sometimes they can take you out of context. Right. I mean, there there's actually so much to talk about here. So I think the, the, the first surprising thing to the team here was that how much scrutiny even extremely early field tests got. So so basically the things you, you read, they barely are not even touched the current field tests or kind of what, what has happened in the last few months, but rather just like went to the specific, specific location we shut down many months ago where like things did not work out and to be clear, like many things did not work out in many other locations too. Like this is not a surprise. We back then we have been a <laughs> kind of a Series A company with uh, twenty people in the peak of COVID in Germany, trying to figure out how to set this up. But in retrospect, whatever. Uh, I mean, since since Sam is a co-founder and and since like this is such a audacious goal that might be expected. But I I certainly think this whole uh, privacy whatever is like biometrics is bad and whatever like that that's that's the usual skepticism we receive and i think that will just be resolved once people start actually understanding technology and really taking it much more seriously and looking into the documents and kind of what we're actually building i think everything around incentives and growth well the model just works and uh people will start seeing that soon once we actually start scaling up and of course again this will not be smooth smooth sailing. Other things will start breaking, I'm sure about that. And and we will fix them, but that should not be a surprise uh, because it's in the end still a startup and it's 
more importantly, it's like a moonshot. It's a very, very large, audacious goal. Something else that I like to add is I don't think people realize that like as a company, if we publicly say like we will never sell user data, that that is not a thing that we can legally lie about and that people can sue us about that if we actually go and do it as a public promise. I feel like we have these things where like maybe the media says, oh, these people are getting data from users and they're going to go and sell that. And then we say, no, we're not doing that. No, we we do not plan to do that. And they take that as a bit of like, well, they say that they are not doing it, but who knows? Like, that is that is not a thing that we can do as far as like the legal team has told him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's often a misconception is that like, oh, the, the use of this data is to be sold so that somebody else owns it and can do whatever they want to it. Though sometimes there is a middle area, which is more like we're going to be able to use this data for maybe ways like, you know, like you're mentioning an SDK. When people sign up for this, maybe they weren't thinking about solving Twitter's bot problem, but maybe that's net positive for the world. But how are you kind of thinking about, you know, making sure people always have that full consent uh, or, or understand where, where this data is going and that like, even if you don't sell it, it might be used for other things, but that doesn't actually endanger their privacy. So we'd just love to hear your, your thought there. Yeah, I, I can take this. So a couple of things, just in general, when it comes to privacy, there's three things that we think about here. First of all, it's just being very clear about what people are trusting us with. Right? And so when you download the app, we tell you like five different times in plain language what you're doing. Don't quote me on five, but at least two or three. And even the orb as it's about to start doing the verification, it tells you what it's about to do uh, in spoken language right? uh, so that you understand what is happening. And so at any given point in time, it's very important for us to very clearly communicate what is happening. The second thing is giving you control over, uh, over your data. Right? And so even if you go to the orb uh, and you change your mind or you want to delete your data, at any point in time, you can go into the settings of the app and just by tapping one button, either receive a copy of the data that we have or delete anything. And then the last thing is we're always looking to minimize the amount of data that, that we collect. And so if you look at the timeline over the last year or so, every month we release updates where we need less and less data to work. Now, when it comes to the SDK, I think what's very important to understand is that companies cannot just use your identity, right? Basically, when you go to the org, you receive an identity that lives on your phone and you use that identity to claim WorldCoin, to prove that you're a person that has never claimed WorldCoin before. Now with this new drops feature, you now are able to use that same identity to voluntarily claim these airdrops by proving, hey, I'm a person and I've never claimed this drop before. And so when we talk about the SDK, what we're talking about is letting other developers ask you the same question, right? They can put something very similar to a CAPTCHA on their website, where if you want as a user, you can scan that CAPTCHA with the WorldCoin app which basically allows you to use the identity that lives on your phone to prove that you're a real person that has never performed whatever action they're trying to verify. And so the really important thing here is that any given action is opt-in. Developers cannot push things to you. Airdrops cannot be pushed to your wallet. You as a user, first of all, don't need to go to an orb to use WorldCoin. WorldCoin is an ERC-20 that you can just use by sending and receiving. Uh, You'll be able to buy on exchanges most likely. And so it is not, not any different than other ERC-20. Now, if you want to receive your free share, you do need to get verified on an orb. And if you want to use that verification for other things, you can do so, but you don't have to. Right? And that is uh, always your control, and that uh, lives on your phone non-custodially. 
One other question that I had uh, around this is what you expect people to do with the world coin once they get it. You know, if I, I receive this 25 world coin eventually because I scan, got scanned, is the idea that, oh, this is more of a like something you hold and hope the value goes up? Is it more like it's going to be cheap and easy to trade and move around so it can be more of a you know transactional currency? Is it going to be more about the, the programmatic element of it and that you can do interesting things with, with smart contracts about it? What What is it that excites you or what is your kind of vision for the uses of the world coin once people get it? Fundamentally, what Elena explained really well in the beginning, right? This kind of, you have ownership in the network and the actual thing that we are building. Like that's that's the first thing it actually is, right? Like you have ownership in that network. And when the network actually gets adoption, you, you will you will participate in its in its economic growth and uh, what people start using it for. So I think that's, that's the first important mental model around this. The second one is, it's a capped supply system. So that means that it is not a stable coin. And that just makes it naturally not a perfect medium of exchange. Because if you if you worry about, okay, it's like my world coin went up uh, 50% yesterday and uh, now I, yesterday I used it to, to buy bananas, that's maybe that's maybe not great. So it just naturally is not, not great for that. However, that does not mean that in that world coin wallet, there will be stable coins, right? So, so the thing is, to your question, this, this medium of exchange thing will certainly happen with the Rollcoin wallet, and I think it will happen quite soon, certainly with other stablecoins. There will be a couple mechanism between other projects using the proof of personal and the Rollcoin token. So the more use case of this, this kind of um, proof of personal SDK will happen, that will be reflected in, in the Rollcoin price because it's people people start using it, they need to pay fees in it or, or other value capture mechanisms. We, we can talk much more about that in detail, but that's basically it. And then the last one I would say is it's fundamentally an Ethereum, an Ethereum token. So all of the things you do right now with, with other Ethereum tokens, you, you, you will be able to do with the Rollcoin token too, just on a larger scale with a wider distributed wallet, wallet base. Tiago, is there anything you want to add? No, I think, I think that makes sense. I think that's a, a good breakdown. I, I share the opinion of while people will probably try to use it for transacting day to day, it's probably not ideal given how likely volatile the price will be. But things, whether it's around ownership of the of the token, historic value, hedging, I guess, in inflation, I think there's a bunch of things that people around the world will choose to do with it. The decisions that we are making as defaults that the DAO will even be able to override eventually is making it a cap supply token and tying its value to the to a degree to the usage of the protocol. Right. So anything beyond that, it will really be up to the community to figure out how they want to use it around the world. And then one more question for for you guys would just be around what is mission accomplished look like? You know, if the, if everything goes well and you know you're able to really deploy at a massive scale, and maybe if you even get to every single person on Earth having claimed their their coin, what happens then, or what what does that mean for the world? We have hopefully onboarded billions of people into Rollcoin. We have given them access to what then will be the largest financial system there is, and that will dramatically increase access to financial systems and therefore equality of opportunity. Like that, that's fundamentally why we started all this. And that will lead to an explosion of, of innovation, I think, within, not only within Rollcoin, but in crypto in general. Awesome. So I want to run through a few of the top insights from today's talk. What we were talking about today with the founders of, of Worldcoin and the uh, and some of the builders and investors here was the idea that you know that a few years ago Web three wasn't this big thing, but you know Alex was studying physics and Sam Altman approached him with this idea about biometrics, and you know that seemed crazy. But with zero uh, knowledge proofs, you finally have this solution to this enormous problem that's plagued the world, which is just being able to tell who is unique, who is a unique 
unique person because so many services are dependent on that concept and are abused when people can have multiple accounts uh, or claim multiple you know copies of, of an asset. And so the idea with with you guys is you know having these gig economy workers bring this you know, Chrome orb out into the world, scan people's irises, which are you know especially unique, even more unique than most of your other biometrics, but also less invasive than something like DNA scanning. Uh, and you you encrypt that all and you separate it from their actual identity, but it lets you create this database that says, is this a unique person, which can be used for a lot of things beyond just giving them this you know incentive of, uh, of an allocation of WorldCoin. And the idea is that everybody on earth gets their own allocation. Uh, you know, it takes about five minutes and, you know, often that's mostly just downloading the app. Uh, but then once people are in, they can not only get their WorldCoin, but they're also starting to get these airdrops of, of other tokens uh, like DAI and ETH, uh, ETH and Bitcoin. And you, know, you all, that starts to create this concept of a, of a UBI layer because, you know, with UBI, you know, you need a unique set of humans, a system that connects them and a way to create wealth. And you guys have at the very least, you know, figured out a way to identify someone as unique and connect them all through these wallets. But, you know, that next big opportunity, that next big thing is the idea of, you know, can you build AI that generates its own wealth that you can pour into the system so you can really make sure this coin is worth something for everybody in the world? And, you know, because AI is so scalable, because it can, you know, automate away jobs and, and you know, have, you know, create these enormous services. You know, we're already just seeing the peak of this with, uh, or you know, the, the the front of the spear of this with things like Dolly 2 and GPT-3. You know, then that that AI could potentially spin off all of this wealth and actually fund this UBI system, which I think is really exciting. And you know, the, the long-term idea uh, here, I think, is that opening of economic incentives. And you know, whether that's doing that through the SDK and bringing that to other apps or doing it through your own coin, I think it's really exciting that if you can onboard all of these people into crypto cryptocurrency in a way where they get to be an owner right off the bat. They're not immediately paying in dollars to get started in this world. You know, that makes it a lot more attractive. And you also have this incredible opportunity to educate them about the importance of privacy, the importance of sovereign ownership. And I think the idea long term is that with uh, ownership and governance and the ability to participate in this network's economic growth, you know, you can really uh, create something that inspires more people to build and gives them that foundation that once you have that this unique concept of personal there's so much that can be built on top of it. And I find that so exciting. That's what I think WorldCoin is really all about. So with that, I want to just give everyone a final point of like, what makes you excited about this future world where you know we have more economic equality or more people are onboarded into cryptocurrency or we have this unique database of personhood? What, what are the exciting sort of things you dream about uh, being unlocked by this concept that WorldCoin is powering? Maybe we could start with uh, with you, Tiago, and then Elena, Miguel, and we'll end with Alex. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go more philosophical. To me, it's just really exciting, the idea of recognizing people's humanity, not on a technical level, but on an, on an ethical level. I love the idea of having a, a technological primitive that just allows us to say, hey, you're a person, and I don't care who you are, where you were born, how old you are, as long as you're over 18, you get treated equally around the world. And in the short term, that means you get to participate in this really cool airdrop for our cryptocurrency. But in the midterm and in the long term, it can mean a lot more things, right? Whether it's getting to vote on some online DAO or claim some other airdrop or give a thumbs up on a YouTube video. And in the long term, claim a UBI. I'm just very, very excited by what it means for us as a society to just start looking at everyone for what they are. We're just a bunch of people and getting to share everything with everyone. Yeah, um, I would absolutely echo that. I think like 
the first thing that got me really excited about the crypto space in general was this idea of self-sovereignty and, you know, owning your assets without middlemen and, and you know, being a custodian of, of your own life. And what I think WorldCoin is doing is is extending that and accelerating that to, you know, the entire world and sort of in a way that I don't think would have been possible before, especially in a verifiable way and like in a way where, where you can actually verify that, that, you know, people are unique individuals. How about you, Miguel? I'm definitely also really excited about what Tiago was saying. But for me in particular, as a developer, since like all of these open protocols that didn't exist before, I've been playing around with uh, all wallet protocol. In like the past five days, I feel like a thing that you can use to really quickly verify that you're a human on a, for a professional network and contract address where you can just like send any kind of token and it will split that token across every human on the planet and a bunch of other really cool apps. And all of this, like every different app took me like maybe one or two hours to build, which is insane that you can make like what I was saying, a, a contract where you send tokens to that address and it will split that tokens across all of the humans on the planet. It is insane that I could build that in like an hour. And it was thanks to like that, this protocol that allows people to register as humans there. And the possibility to do that, not in, even like crypto or outside of crypto and anywhere did not exist before. And I'm really excited about all of these protocols really enabling new developers with new and wild ideas to build really cool things. Oh man, I, I love that. That's so cool. The idea that you could s split something between everyone on the planet. And you think of like what interchange fees would be on like a traditional network to do that, how expensive that would be. It's just crazy. So it's so cool, uh, especially to have uh, somebody who's as you know innovative and agile of a builder as you, Miguel, on the team, I think is a, is a really exciting prospect for WorldCoin. And then uh, Alex, why don't you, you top it off for us? Well, I, I think everything that unlocks people all over the world and brings them much closer together economically and just reduces inequalities in the world, I think is a, is a really, really great thing to, to spend your time on a rock on and, and, and improve on. And why I'm here is I think Rockwind will be just the most dramatic step in the direction we have seen in many, many decades, hopefully. So I can barely imagine something more exciting to work on. And I know that sounds uh, still now wild is I, I do believe that AI is moving much faster than most people realize. And I do think that having something like Rollcoin will make that future much, much better, where you have really, really advanced AI systems. It doesn't even have to be AGI, and you can distribute wealth that is generating with, with billions of people across the world. As utopia as it sounds now, it might not be the case in five years anymore. Well, I hope this is an opportunity for everyone to maybe challenge some of their own skepticism, be willing to dream a little bit, and while you know, always making sure to safeguard the consequences, see that there are fundamentally new things to be built out there that can unlock incredible economic progress and equality for people around the world. So I think that to me is a, is a good reason to be excited about tech again. So thank you so much to Alex uh, Bonia, the CEO of WorldCoin, for joining with us today, as well as uh, Miguel Pedraftia from, uh, from WorldCoin, as well was uh, Tiago Sada from the team and Elena from Andreessen Horowitz's crypto team. Thank you guys.
guys so much for being here with us today, as well as my partner, uh, Elaine Zelby at Signal Fire. Uh, it's just been an absolute pleasure to, to see what you guys are building and to see you trying something radically new that could really create a ton of opportunity for every person on earth, but also every developer. So thank you so much for being with us here today on Press Club. If you're building something exciting at the edge of cryptocurrency, especially in the infrastructure space, we'd love to hear about it at our fund, Signal Fire. We're a $1 billion under management uh, early stage venture fund, which specializes in helping our portfolio companies with recruiting, thanks to our Beacon Talent AI, crunches a half trillion data points, ranks 495 million people in the tech ecosystem on skill level and higher ability so we can generate these reports to help our companies hire the best people. It's part of why founders give us an MPS of 92. So if you want to find out why and see how we could help you guys, we'd love to hear about what you're building. Please reach out. But otherwise, thank you to everyone for being with us here today and sharing your incredible vision uh, and your optimism for what can be built in the future. So thanks again to everyone. From me, Josh Constein, your host of Press Club, where the big names in tech talk about the big ideas. We'll see you next week. Thanks again.